everyone, welcome back to Lounge With Books. I'm Sophie. And I'm Claire. And we are two friends keeping in touch through the power of books. And we do that through our book club. And we have just finished our 10th book club read, which is The Machine Gunners by Robert Westall. And this episode is very special because we are joined by the lovely Keith Gray. Keith Gray is a children and YA author. And he is also the author that Claire name dropped and said that this book, The Machine Gunners, was the book that got him into reading and obviously sparked this amazing writing career. So he's here to say if that's right or wrong. Thank you so much for having me along. Thank you. So we're going to sum up our thoughts on the book. And of course, Keith, you can let us know as well why this is one of your favourite books and and how it impacted your career as well. And then we're going to ask you some lovely juicy questions because we all want to know what it's like to be an author and where you get your inspirations from. So The Machine Gunners by Robert Westall. Claire, what were your thoughts? Oh my goodness, didn't it kick off in this last 50 pages? It was. There was just so much that went on in it. I mean, um, there was that massive fight between Bodser and Chaz because he was following him from his house and he thought it was a policeman and uh, it turned out to be Bodser getting his own back again, wasn't it? Yeah, I have to say, maybe it's just me being picky, but I didn't really see the point of Bodser. Like, his character had no relevance to the story. So when he came back just to be annoying, I was like, why is he here? <laughs> I thought we got rid of Bodser. It was a little bit odd. It sort of just came about, wasn't it? But I don't know, maybe it was just a, a moment in the book where they just wanted to show that he was getting his own back on, on it. I don't know. What's your thoughts, Keith? Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, that Bodser's not the most necessary character in the book. I guess he's the only young antagonist. Uh, there's no real solid antagonist in the book. The, the, the kids talk about, you know, the Germans, the Nazis uh, being the bad guys because of the war. And I suppose there's the policeman tracking them down, trying to find the machine gun. But it's weird that there's no real good guy, bad guy element. And so maybe Bodser Brown was meant to bring in that sort of that, that antagonist that they had to to fight against at some point. Yeah, I've not thought about that before, strangely. <laughs> so that's really interesting. I guess I see what you mean, just having a face to an enemy, because in the book, the Germans and the Nazis are the enemies, but actually the German that we meet is really dead, like, is really nice. <laughs> so there isn't, as you say, an actual antagonist, because even the policeman is really nice and on their side most of the time. So Yeah, maybe Westall was trying to show that the uh, the Germans can be perfectly ordinary normal nice people and guess what some of the british can be pretty nasty and downright horrible and and violent maybe you know it was the the two sides of the coin whichever nation you're from perhaps it was a real violent moment in the book wasn't it you know it's basically trying to drown him it was uh what about clogger (laughs) clogger went crazy always beat him to death yeah, he nearly killed him, didn't he, basically, stop him. But uh, it seemed to shut Bodzer up, in a way, if you like. <laughs> Which, I don't know if I really agree with the message, you know, considering yeah. this is a very interesting children's book, though. As I, I read the author's notes at the back, and he was like, you've got to remember I wrote this during this time, and it's based on this time in life, so you can't really look at it with modern eyes. You know, he talks about the swearing and how there's not many female characters, and... In a way, it goes to show that stories nowadays, they're very 
you've got to tailor them to hit so many boxes. You can't just tell an authentic yeah. story that might have been the case, as he said. But it is a very interesting children's story in today's eyes. I mean, I, I mentioned last week that um, it, it does actually remind me a little bit of Phil Earle's books because, again, it's based around children. And it did, you know, Phil Earle always has those little elements in his books that are a bit, you know, that vi- a violent moment or a, a gruesome moment. I think Phil is a, is a fan of Robert Westall as well. But I, I think I'd agree that I, I read The Machine Gunners again before talking to you. And it showed its age for me more than it ever, ever has done before. I mean, it's been a good few years since I read it last. But yeah, this time around, it, it did seem to show its age more for me, definitely. And so maybe Phil's kind of bringing more of a modern mentality to that older war story. And then we move on in the book and the town, Garmouth, they think that the Germans are invading. And so there's this mass sort of hype of running around and, oh, we've got to stop the Germans. And uh, and then it all just kicks off. And But it's not the Germans, is it? <laughs> It's literally nothing. <laughs> it's mass nothing. hysteria. Because the bells rang, didn't they? It was the church bells that were ringing, and that was meant to sig- to signify that the Germans were coming, and uh, it was all fake. But it all kicked off. Then they got the machine gun working. Rudy had got the machine gun working, hadn't he? And they'd got the boat for Rudy. And interestingly, they got him on the boat, and he set sail. But then he returned. Wow. I mean, he was treated very well. I think I'd probably return as well rather than going back. Well, um, I think he realised that there wasn't going to be any rescue boats out there, was there? Because the Germans no. weren't invading. So it was either it was probably die of freezing cold and or go back to where he was being treated well. However, that wasn't quite the case, was it? The ending of this book was very bizarre that's all I'm gonna say like the, the climax for this book felt like an anti-climax I felt like we were building for like this huge I don't know epic moment and it was like the Germans are invading ah and then it, nothing actually happened and it was all a bit I don't know maybe I'm just old and overcritical but I really enjoyed the book but I just felt like the crescendo was a bit flat Keith might fight me on that one, as uh, he really enjoyed this book. Uh, no, I'd, I'd agree. I think that it, it is everything seems to build towards um, the kids are going to join in the war. There's going to be an invasion. Rudy's going to escape. The, the German Rudy's going to escape, or he's going to get caught. Or and actually, none of it pays off. There's lots of sort of um, promises of this huge sort of climax happening at the end of the book. And uh, and none of it pays off. It, it has a more, uh, I don't know, would you call it a more realistic ending rather than a Hollywood-style ending, um, mm. uh, which makes it maybe feel anticlimactic? Yeah, I'd probably say you're right. It's very true to maybe what would have happened. So it takes all the, the epicness out of it. I mean, I guess it's hard, but would you say reading it again as an adult and also as an author yourself, did you read it in a completely different way to when you were younger? Yeah, I think so. I think that I must have read it four or five times. So this was the fourth, maybe fifth time. Uh, And I say it's been about 20 years since I read it last time around. 
And although I thoroughly enjoyed it again, and some bits I'd forgotten, I'd forgotten the fight between Bodzer and Clogger and how vicious that was. So there's uh, bits that popped up that I had forgotten about. It, it seemed, it, it did show its age, and it felt really strangely structured in the sense of, I mean, there's one huge chapter. I don't know if you noticed that the chapters are about 10 pages each, mm-hmm. apart from... Is it chapter five, which was about 60, 70 pages long? Yeah, there was one long chapter. Time breaks. And so it, it seemed to be structured in, a, I don't know whether it was an old-fashioned way, but peculiar kind of way. And, of course, now I'm thinking, would my would my editor let me get away with that? Would I be allowed to do that in my books <laughs> nowadays? When you read this book, you were a reluctant reader and it sparked that interest in you. And you yourself now, you write a lot of books for reluctant readers. Do you draw any inspiration from this book to get people into reading? I take from it the speed of the story and the pace of the story and the economy of language, which sounds a little bit highfalutin, I suppose. But Westall can get across big emotions in in few words. And I've always found that, as a writer, really impressive. I didn't notice it as a young reader. I was just feeling those emotions as I, as I was reading the book. But now you can kind of pick out that he manages to get across some some big ideas and big emotions in very few words. And, and I've always tried to, to emulate that, I suppose. I believe he has done a second book to this as well. So maybe that is why it's got that kind of placid ending if you like yeah I mean I know he says the second books when they're in like a level age so it doesn't it's not a direct lead on to so to speak but maybe he had it in the pipeline that that was what his plan was anyway did you read that one Keith Uh, yeah but I've I've never reread it I, I did read Fathom 5 when I was younger and what I remember of it it's it's much more of a action adventure story um there's a spy in uh Garmouth and uh it, it felt much it didn't feel as realistic somehow I remember when I read it when I was younger um but I, I I cannot remember how many of the same characters crop up I don't know how directly it it follows on I know it's a few years later um I couldn't I can't even remember off the top of my head whether Chaz had been to he'd been sent away you know, to a, a special school and had returned because of what he'd done with the machine gun. But that seems to ring a bell with me. I should have looked, maybe I should have looked it up before I came on. Sorry, that's bad research on <laughs> no, my part. No, no, no. But I, really, I enjoyed it, but it didn't quite hit me the same as the machine gunners did when I was younger. And I've never returned to that. Well, I have, I've enjoyed the machine gunners. I think it's been a cracking book. And if you, I think sometimes when you read these books, you do have to read like you are a, an 11 year old and I think if an 11 year old read this they'd be like wow still I still think it has that impact there was a lot of action going on it kept you reading there wasn't a moment when I was thinking oh this is really boring I thought it was a really good war wartime book and I still think it stands the test of time so in my view I'm giving it a renew yeah I'd give it a renew as well 
Keith, are you familiar with our ratings? Yeah, although I'd maybe go, I'd, I'd, I'd go one extra and I'd, I'd, I'd steal it and bury it in a fort and I'd <laughs> let my friends come round and look after it. And, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've still got a, a lot of love for the book. I, I love the, the rebellion in it, the uh, the kids versus the adult mentality of it kind of thing. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably beg, borrow and steal this book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so interestingly, Keith, The Den which is your new book, is set in a bunker, isn't it? They find a bunker. So it relates quite well to our reading of the machine gunners to their fortress. Can you tell us a little bit about your new book? Yeah, it just came out last month. And um, I guess guess I'm still trying to be Robert Westall, maybe, (laughs) um, with the den, with it being set in in a World War II bunker. The book's actually takes place in modern times but the the, the boys find a, an underground shelter an underground um cellar which could have been used as a bomb shelter perhaps in the past and strangely the more that i've thought about rereading the machine gun as i was rereading the machine gun i was thinking oh yeah it's about kids who build a fort in the machine gun as they call it um and want to stay there and in my book they they find the the den, the shelter, and they want to stay there. And it has made me worry that I haven't moved on after all these years from from uh, from Robert Westall. But I, my book's written for the publisher Barrington Stoke, who specialise in reluctant readers. So I'm definitely still trying to write for that reluctant 11, 12-year-old reader that I was. I'm still trying to find stories that I think I would have picked up and enjoyed. And in the den, it becomes not exactly a battle for who owns the den, but it—it's it, maybe thinking of the end of Machine Gunners. Maybe the den's got a little bit of a an anticlimactic ending in a strange way, because it's building up to a fight and it's building up to a fight, and then the fight doesn't quite happen, uh, perhaps the way the reader expects. So, um, so maybe there are more similarities between the den and the machine gunners than I realised when I was writing it. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. With the Barrington Stoke books, they're slightly shorter reads. Do you find it quite difficult to... Is it more difficult to write a shorter read or, or than a longer read? Because obviously you've got to try and pack as much as you can into that shorter read, but also not make it look like it's jumping from one thing to another very quickly. Yeah, I, I do. I I enjoy it. I, I I really enjoy writing for Barrington Stoke, and they're a, a fantastic uh, publishing house to work with, and the, the people that work there are a great team. And we do go through a an editorial process, you know, with with the books. But I always find that I I overwrite a lot. I, I get very fond of the sound of my own voice. So a, a book like The Den, which is I think it's about sixty, it's only about sixteen, seventeen thousand words long originally in my first draft it would have been 27 28,000 words long and then I get a big fat red pen and just try to cross out everything that's not needed or everything that um, doesn't move the story forward as quickly as I'd like it to uh, and that's the um, that's the not I wouldn't say heartbreaking but yeah that's the cutting out some of your favorite jokes that that you thought were funny at the time, but but aren't going to really add anything to the Barrington Stoke story. So um, so yeah, it's it, it's tough, but it's uh, uh, it's a nice challenge to have. Put it that way. So I know, well, I I believe some of your books uh, 
do have a little bit of your sort of growing up in them, some of your past. Does this have anything of your past in it? Sort of where I grew up, it was it was kind of half in, half out of the town, almost. Uh, so you turned one way and you could see the town of, of Grimsby and you turned the other way and it was sort of open farm fields. And we used and there was big ditches along the side of the fields, and we used to sort of fill them with hay from the farm fields and and put branches over the top and make our own dens. So the idea of having a a den, of building a den, of having somewhere that seemed a little bit a little bit rebellious and a little bit dangerous, a little bit your parents wouldn't like you hanging out there, but was ours for me and my friends. That feeling rather than the actual place itself. That that idea and that feeling is definitely uh, what I had when I was younger, uh, somewhere to uh, to escape to with my mates. Now, in terms of Barrington Stoke, you've done quite a few books with them now. I know when me and Claire worked in the library together, we were always sending your books out and they were always very well received. And one particular book, I was like, why is there no sequel? I want this book to be so much longer. And that was Ghosting. And that book got battered Keith like it was falling apart by the time I left because everyone was like this book is so good and the ending was insane that's that's really nice thank you because um and, and yeah um thank you for all your support as school librarians and uh, over the years we kids writers we couldn't survive without brilliant school librarians uh we really know how great a job you lot do uh, ghosting yeah I really enjoyed writing ghosting it was a quick book to write I, I've never I have never written a sequel to anything so I've had 25 books published now. No, that's a lie. Sorry, 24. I'm writing the 25th. And I've, I've, I've never written a sequel, which is completely the wrong way to go about being a children's writer nowadays. It's series and it's sequels that actually are going to make your name. But yeah, I've kind of, I get three quarters of the way through one book, have a brilliant idea, and then rush the ending to get onto the, the new book that had a brilliant idea. Um, so, yeah, Ghosting's unfortunately out of print at the moment now. It's, it's actually? It's, yeah, it's disappearing. So good. Um, but I, I have been thinking about revisiting a couple of the older Barrington Stoke books and trying to add extra dimensions to them, you know, to give them a, give them a bit of a modern life, if you see what I mean. Uh, and Ghosting been sort of one that I have thought about maybe adding a little bit to I really liked the characters and the idea that they were scamming people with these seances. Sorry, I should explain what ghosting is about, shouldn't I? Uh, yes. scamming, people. <laughs> uh, scamming people with these seances, these fake seances. So, uh, yeah, thank you. That's really nice. Maybe maybe that one will go higher up the pile of something that I could uh, yeah. see if I can polish up a little bit. But it, maybe that's a better way to do it, polish it up. It was just such an interesting subject matter. You know, as you say, the seancing, the fact that it was a scam, but then actually it took a really dark turn and it turned into almost like a horror story you tell around the campfire. It was very engaging. And as you say, the characters in that book really drew you in and you got to that point where you were so in the book and then it just ends and you're like, what? Um, so, yeah. yeah, loved that one. And it was very similar with You Killed Me, Last oh, Soldier, yeah. those sorts <laughs> of, you know, a bit of a scary story and with a crazy ending. Well, going back to Robert Westall, Robert Westall wrote some fantastic horror stories. And there is a, there is a short story called The Haunting of Chas McGill. Uh, Chas being the lead uh, character, the main character in Machine Gunners. And there's a short story, a very spooky 
ghost story called The Haunting of Chas McGill. Um, so yeah, Robert Westall kind of got me into horror a little bit as well. He did write, uh, there's a couple of collections of uh, horror stories, ghost stories that he wrote that are very good. So Keith, who is your inspiration? Well, I know Robert Westall is an inspiration. Any other authors, any now authors or past authors that have inspired you to write? Uh, yeah, I mean, we could fill a whole podcast for me just telling you names of, <laughs> of authors that I really admire and authors that I I, uh, I, I, I love to um, to read and to emulate. Currently right now, well, I've been a big fan of a long time for the, the Scottish author Ian Banks, who died a few years ago. Mm. Unfortunately, he wrote The Wasp Factory and The Crow Road. I really like David Mitchell, who he wrote Cloud Atlas. Not the comedian David Mitchell, the author David Mitchell. He wrote a book called Cloud Atlas um, and uh, The Bone Clocks, fantastic writers. Um, and I get uh, kind of writers that write standalone novels. You know, I don't think Ian Banks never really did a sequel. He wrote sci-fi books, but none of them could ever be classed as a sequel. And so I'm, uh, with me writing standalone, I think it's emulating the, the, the writers that I like. There's a fantastic Australian author called Margot Lanigan. Uh, who writes uh, YA and amazing short stories for uh, for everybody, really. I say YA, she writes for anybody. But a book of hers called Tender Morsels um, absolutely blew me away. It's a retelling of Snow White, Rose Red, uh, the sort of the, the original legend of uh, Snow White. And and it, it, I can remember reading that and just, just being amazed at how beautiful the language was, that... Um, I've said before, she she uses exactly the same words as I do, and yet the the order she puts them in makes it so beautiful and lyrical, and I've got no idea how she does it. So she's fantastic. And then older writers, I, I still read Stephen King books. I, I've read lots of uh, Ray Bradbury, who uh, inspired Stephen King and uh, and so on and so forth. So, so yeah. What am I reading right now? I'm reading Stephen King's uh, latest right now, Fairy Tale. I think his latest in paperback. Um, it's not his best, but I'll 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 get through it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, there's there's lots of authors that uh, that I kind of really that I'm really I was gonna, I was going to say inspire me, but I I do pinch ideas from these people as well. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, there's, there's lots of uh, and, and great kids authors. I think Marcus Sedgwick will be missed very, very much. I did like Marcus Sedgwick books. I think he'll be missed. Patrice Lawrence. Again, these people that have written for Barrington mm. Stoke. I think kids books at the minute. I, I think we've got the best writers in kids writing right now, personally, with new writers coming through, uh, more diverse writers. It, I, I've really got to up my game to keep my head above water. There's just so many fantastic writers out there. And that was a really long-winded answer, rambling answer. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, it was a great answer. You know, a lot of the things that you said were probably going to be questions that we were going to ask you next. So it saves us asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you're right. You know, when we were working in the library, when I first got the job, I thought, oh, gosh, I've got to read children's books. This is going to be painful. And actually, it was some of the best reading that I ever did. And even now, when I go to Waterstones, my nephew's looking in the children's section, picking his books, and I'm there picking my books as well because there's just so many amazing writers. Um, and 
they're just great books and they're easier to read as well than picking up a massive adult book because I struggle with big book fear. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the the, kid, the good kids' authors, the ones that I really, really admire, they, they, they can get these big ideas and these big themes but make them uh, fun, readable, exciting, uh, not patronising in any way. Uh, I heard on a previous podcast you'd struggled with uh, To the Lighthouse, um, oh, yeah. which oh. is one of those books. Oh. One of those books I've, oh. I've never quite dared. Do you know what I mean? I just, Don't. It's, <laughs> no. um, I, I, one day, it's on my shelf and one day I will. I promise one day I will. But, um, but yeah, I think the, the kids' authors are so great at getting these huge ideas and making them accessible. Um, and I really love that kids' book. So sometimes there's a a literary book, a Booker Prize-winning book, perhaps, and, and it, this kind of adult book, and it's it's sort of saying, you know, I'm a clever book, I'm a literary book. Are you sure you're clever enough to read me? Are you sure you can? I've won mm-hmm. prizes, you know. Can you read me? You might not understand me, but then you get kids' books, and they just go, come on, everybody, come on, pile in. Everybody read me. Everybody have a go at me. See what you can get out of me. Um and I really love that about kids' fiction. It's so inclusive. It's so accessible. And yet the best ones are, are not at all patronising. They're not looking down on the reader at all. And I have to say, I mean, my favourite YA book is The Bunker Diary by Kevin Brooks. And you know why I like it? Because it doesn't end good. There isn't <laughs> that a happy ending. Traumatise me, Claire. Traumatise me. It just does not compromise that book. It does not. Yeah. No, and it, it's a it's a great book, but I I I really appreciate that you do do standalone books because sometimes you you look at a series of books and it's quite off putting. I like a standalone book, you know. It, it just means that you get to the end of that and you can move on to something else. But um, we will <laughs> leave it there for today. Thank you so much for joining us, Keith. It has been amazing to chat to you about Robert Westall, your inspirations, the books that you have coming out and your insight into children's fiction. I feel like we could talk to you all day because it's just, it's very interesting. <laughs> I really, really liked it. Thank you, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really pleased to be talking to you after all this yeah. time. It's been amazing. It's been amazing, Keith, and we really do appreciate it. And hopefully you'll start the ball rolling for a few more authors joining us. You never know, hopefully. As always, do get in contact with us on our Instagram at Lounging With Books. You can either comment on one of our posts that Claire does so wonderfully, or you can send us a direct message. Next week, me and Claire, we're going to be doing a special episode because we've been running the podcast for a year now. Um, So we'll just be doing a little yearly roundup of the books that we've read before we announce our next book club book. Uh, But otherwise, it is goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. Uh, And goodbye from me as well. (laughs) 